iPhone hacks linked to China spying? Does cyber insurance encourage ransomware attacks? And the CISO's role in translating IT to OT? These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. Recent news of an iPhone hacking campaign revealed by Google has just taken a rather interesting twist, with research revealing that it may in fact have been part of a larger campaign initiated by China. With all the details, here's ISMG's Managing Editor, Security and Technology, Jeremy Cook. An extraordinary iPhone hacking campaign revealed by Google last week may be linked to Android spying campaigns focused on websites related to ethnic Uyghurs in China. The Washington, D.C.-based firm Velexity says it recently observed 11 Uyghur-related websites that were rigged to push malware to Android devices. The campaigns appear designed to spy on members of the Uyghur diaspora as the websites are blocked in China. Velexity's report comes after Google said it observed indiscriminate attacks designed to compromise iOS devices after people visited certain websites. Google said it found 14 iOS vulnerabilities and five exploit chains. Google did not identify the websites or the groups that were targeted, but TechCrunch and Forbes have reported the groups were Uyghur-related. Under the guise of stopping terrorism, China has been conducting a sweeping security operation against the Muslim minority population in the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. China has imposed a campaign of imprisonment and surveillance aimed at snuffing out dissent, as for decades Uyghur activists have sought independence from China. Velexity has worked with Uyghur groups since 2013 and observed an increasing number of attacks. It says that those attacks are likely being conducted by two Chinese hacking groups. Velexity says it observed the deployment of Scanbox, which is a reconnaissance tool that collects device data, and also exploit code for Android devices. It has dubbed the group behind it Evil Eye. Although Google is now displaying warnings to visitors of the sites, it may be too late for people who visited them before. Activist groups and dissidents are usually at a disadvantage to exploitation attempts. Those groups are attractive targets for governments whose digital surveillance and hacking resources can far outpace those groups' defenses. Velexity's founder, Stephen Adair, tells me that vulnerable people should keep their devices up to date. But it's difficult to tell people not to visit websites for fear of an attack. There are more technical methods to mask browsing and make it safer, such as by using virtual machines. But he says sometimes those techniques aren't practical for non-technical people. He says it's simply tough to tell people not to visit legitimate websites. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Ransomware remains very much in the headlines these days, with perpetrators continuing to reap significant payouts from companies and cities that just want their data back. Perceived wisdom is that the perpetrator's modus operandi thus far has been something of a scattergun approach. But attackers aren't stupid. What if they are now focusing on increasing the odds of a payout by hitting companies that are known to have cyber insurance? That's the hypothesis of a recently published report by ProPublica. But is this really happening? To tell us more... Is ISMG's executive editor, Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz. Do ransomware attackers favor targets that hold cyber insurance policies on the grounds that they're more likely to pay a ransom to try to get their systems back up and running again? That's the provocative question posed by a report published by ProPublica last week. 
The report includes multiple theories about ransomware. First, it posits that having a cyber insurance policy makes an organization more of a target for two reasons. First, attackers think that cyber insurance policyholders are more likely to pay their deductible and put the payout towards paying a ransom. Next, insurance companies often pressure ransomware victims into paying a ransom because it's less expensive than paying out for business disruptions that can stretch for weeks or months. One unnamed cybersecurity executive told ProPublica that the FBI had told him that hackers are specifically extorting American companies that they know have cyber insurance. That anecdotal evidence aside, ransomware experts that I've interviewed since the report came out say otherwise. I don't think that's the way that this market works. And like I said, we very much view it as a market. That's Bill Siegel, head of ransomware incident response from Coveware based in Connecticut. The company assists ransomware victims, sometimes by negotiating a lower ransom payment. These groups really do run their operations like rational businesses. So these guys go after the low-hanging fruit because it's cheap and the conversion rate's high. And whether or not those, you know, those victims end up having uh, insurance is just a roll of the dice. As Siegel says, cybercrime's a business and ransomware remains a financial crime. Time is money. Of course, that can go for ransomware victims too. But not all decryptors furnished by ransomware attackers work or work well. That's why paying a ransom isn't necessarily the equivalent of a get-out-of-jail card after making a one-time payment. Recovery can still take weeks or months, and some files get lost forever. There's another potential flaw with the theories contained in ProPublica's story. That's that attacking cyber insurance holders is more likely to result in a ransom payment. Here's Christopher Ellison, Director of Threat Intelligence at Flashpoint in New York City. So there's two different schools of thoughts when it comes to that. One is like attackers would say, hey, they have cyber insurance. We can attack them because they can pay us immediately. The cyber insurance would cover it. Some attackers might think cyber insurance policyholders make easy prey, but Elisan says they're likely to find otherwise. Another school of thought is that, hey, they're covered by a cyber insurance, which means that they went through auditing, threat modeling, and now their security posture is much better than they were six months ago when they were not covered, which might be difficult for us to attack them. From an IT operations perspective, Experts say the smart ransomware money gets spent in advance on defense, including on tools and tactics for blocking attacks outright, as well as backup and recovery systems that can quickly get infected systems back up and running after they've been wiped in case they get infected. For some organizations, cyber insurance will also be part of their strategy to help them pay for recovery when all else has failed. But however, ransomware wielding attackers try to infect victims, the financial reality here remains clear. Pay now or pay later. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Finally, I had the opportunity to interview Chris Hetner the other week at the ISMG Cybersecurity Summit in New York. Chris currently serves as Managing Director for Marsh Risk Consulting's cyber risk consulting business. And prior to joining Marsh, he was the Senior Cybersecurity Advisor to the Chairman of the United States SEC and the Global CISO for GE Capital. His session at the ISMG event was on Cybersecurity Leadership 2.0, and I want to pick his brains on how the role of a CISO has changed to meet modern business needs. I asked him first of all 
How did today's security leaders articulate the language of security into broader business constructs that executives will understand? Here's Chris's response. It's a great question. So we're starting to see the evolution of cyber uh, risk management uh, converting from traditional technological risk and and cyber uh, operational uh, focus to more of a business impact focus. And in order to get there, it really requires an understanding of what's important to your organization, where are your critical assets, and at the end of the day, if there were a cyber event were to occur, what would be the underlying impact and realize the pain points? So across the enterprise, determining what's the business impact implications, what's the loss of intellectual property, understanding what's the loss of personal information, and as you look at that holistically, you start to stress the balance sheet and determine what the regulatory implications would be, what would be the recovery costs, what would be the cost with downtime across your business uh, operation. And that sets the stage for a proper discussion with enterprise risk, with the board of directors, certainly with my prior organization, yeah. the SEC, and then proper disclosure to shareholders. So there's also a long-standing perception that security practices are seen as operational inefficiencies and even downtime. So how do you get buy-in? Here's Chris again. Many of the CISOs um, that I engage with, it's, it's, uh, it's, the reaction is that's really hard, that's tough, it's a challenge. Um, the message is, is resonating within the enterprise risk committees, so CRO, CFO, chief operating officer. Certainly the boards are starting to latch into this concept as well. Uh, but in order to get there, um, the CISO requires um, some level of understanding of the business and how it operates and then starting to link those security investments to the optimization of the organization. At the end of the day, you'd want to have an enterprise risk picture, lens, if I may, to understand what's your all-in exposure. That drives decision points around risk transference, risk tolerance level, how much are you willing to accept, and then the balance is around how much are you willing to manage and then starting to press down in the organization as to how to optimize the management of that risk. But in okay. order to get there, you need to really understand what's your overall economic and business exposure. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.